listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So Aaron, today we're going to talk a little bit about weed control and herbicide programs a little bit. So we've got a guest with us today, Josh Beckman, a field sales agronomist here in our Humphrey location. Welcome, Josh. Thanks. Excited to be here. So Aaron, uh, you know, in your time before coming to CVA, what was your experience working with uh, weed control? Yeah, it seems like as as the years go on, you know, if you look back 20, 25 years when we were so heavily on Roundup and just the problems that have come out of that and resistance, uh, you know, today in 2021, it's just a whole different ballgame. It's, it's more about an integrated weed management plan, um, you know, just layering your modes of action, different timings. Um, just being a little bit more proactive and cognizant about what you're putting out there to try to control specific weed species. Yeah, that layering modes of action seems to be just an all-around industry standard now. We got spoiled with the easy button from Roundup and the weeds reacted to that easy button and said, we're not going to make it so easy for you anymore. Absolutely. I always kind of look at it as, or when I'm talking to a guy about it, I kind of use a cold or, or a flu, flu yeah. shot as kind of a comparison. You know, if you think about a flu shot, you're getting such a small um, dose of it and just a tiny, tiny little bit where your body can respond to it and become um, immune to it. Well, it kind of works a little bit the same way when it comes to herbicide resistance, where when we're continuously using the same mode of action, the same type of product, we're exposing that plant to the same mode of action, that plant ultimately is going to get used to it. That's when we start to see those resistant issues come along. So Josh, we're recording this up here in Northeast Nebraska at Humphrey. What are your problem weeds up here and what's your program that you like to go into? Let's just start with corn. Yeah, Tim. So the three big ones that we face around here are going to be the, the water hemp, uh, the palmer amaranth, and then mare's tail, I would say, covers most of what the challenges we face up here. And for our corn programs, um, we're going to use a lot of group 5, 15, and 27 together. Uh, we do that because that's multiple modes of action, and uh, it usually gives us our best chance to start clean. So those products around this area, it's uh, atrazine and acetochlor premix. We use a lot of degree extra, and then we also use that group 27, which for us, uh, a lot of use is balanced flex. Sure. So when we pair those products together, it just seems like uh, for the past few years, we've had really good success with it. And it's been a very good program for our growers, and we will continue to use it here in the future. Now, some of those HPPDs can give us a little headache in high pH soils. Have you got much of that around here, or it's really not too much of an issue for you? You know, at the rates that we're using with a degree extra, um, it's a lesser rate yep. than what it's labeled for full use rates. So those situations where we can come into some issues with high pH, we've been able to stay away from just because our our use rates are lower, but there are there are those situations where um, it is on the top of our list of things to watch out, and we, we will move to a different product. Right. On the uh, Palmer side, how long have you been dealing with Palmer up here? You know, it, it's hard to say. Uh, guys will come out, and, you, and you'll look at it, and it's not strictly just water hemp anymore. Yep. You know, there's different variants and variations of of what that wheat looks like. And I'd say it's been around for a while. I, I would say at least five years, uh, we're just starting to see crosses of it. And um, now you can you can identify it pretty easily anymore. So it's, it's here and it's probably here to stay. 
yeah, you know, sometimes that thing is, it's really identifiable as Palmer and other times it almost looks like a cross between water hemp and Palmer. I think we've got a lot of mixing out there now and you, the safe bets just treat it like Palmer. If you can, if you can kill Palmer, you can kill water hemp. So go after it that direction. You know, we've seen a lot of work, obviously, with the dicamba-resistant soybeans. It's kind of a new uh, tool in the toolbox. How's that product been working for you? It's definitely a, a very good product in our toolbox. It was something that was that was needed. You know, years prior, we were going after with a lot of these contact burner herbicides, and coverage was the name of the game, and it seems like we weren't putting enough water out there, weren't getting good enough coverage. Uh, we would make that weed pretty angry for a while, um, burn it back, and it'd just come back with a vengeance. So yeah. we really needed something to help get our weeds under control, and that dicamba was was a huge thing. Um, but like you said, it wasn't the silver bullet. It's still a systems approach and very good tool and toolbox, but it's something that we can't abuse because if we do, we'll be in the same same line like we are with Roundup. Right. You know, since we switched over to the soybeans, what's your soybean program on the on the pre-side and on the post-side? You know, we've already talked about it a little bit, the dicamba on the post, but how about on the pre-side? Yeah, so it's going to be, you know, that, that group 15, group 14 in some cases, you know, um, a lot of fierce easy gets used around here with that Valor and Zidua premix. Mm -hmm. uh, has worked very well in our tilled and no-till situations around here. That is our number one program out of this location and we've we've been tremendously happy with it has worked very well seems to be the longest residual that we've seen for quite some time and um, has worked very well for us and are you adding a residual in that post as well yeah so when we come back post um, we use a lot of of acetochlores mm -hmm. you know that encapsulated acetochlor that warrant and then you know with the extendamax if they're the dicamba beans has worked very well. Um, with the warrant, we always tell our growers that, you know, you need to look at the forecast about five to seven days out if we haven't had that moisture and you have the ability to swing the pivot. It's very important to do that just because that tight encapsulation, we want at least a half inch of moisture to kind of get that working and breaking down and, and, and working like it's supposed to. Right. So you're really trying to have back-to-back -back residuals. So anything that germinates anywhere from that really April all the way into August time frame, you've got something that's going to take a whack at it. Absolutely. Just uh, start clean, stay clean, layer your residuals, and we love spraying dirt. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and people people don't realize that what looks to be just bare soil, bare dirt out there, a lot of times there's germinated weeds that are just too small to see. They're there, and that's the best time to kill them. Absolutely. And uh I've said it before, Tim, I just have never had a grower that's complained to me during harvest that his field was too clean. So um, just layering those residuals and keeping it clean will pay you dividends when the combine goes through the field. So Aaron, what kind of, uh, you know, you talked about that integrated pest management system. What kind of a systems approach do you like to bring in there besides, you know, obviously we've got good tools on the chemistry side, but sometimes some of those cultural practices can make a big difference on how hard those weeds are to compete against. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, a couple of the big ones I look at, number one is going to be the tillage management part. You know, 
obviously tillage is a, is a direct tool where you can directly manage if you've got that weed populations there, but also it kind of be an inhibitor as well, where if you're in a no-till situation, typically that'll help um, limit some weed emergence to an extent where um, you've got the surface covered by the residue. You can't, sunlight's not getting down to, to those weed seedlings as well as when you have a tillage event like that, you're kind of mixing weed seeds up and, and maybe pulling them from deep depths and bringing them up to the soil surface uh, where they can eventually ultimately germinate. Uh, another one would be just the crop rotation side from the standpoint of, um, you know, when we're in a monoculture or a continuous rotation, say with corn, you know, typically in that kind of a situation, a lot of times we're relying on the same modes of action year over year the same and even a lot of cases even some of the same products for that matter as well so we're really limiting our toolbox ability when we're in a in a monoculture like that because it's such a small subset of not a small subset but a subset of modes of action that we can use there mm -hmm. um, so when we're when we're incorporating a uh, say a broadleaf like a soybean into that rotation again that opens up more opportunities more more chemistries that we can integrate in and again just helps reduce that risk of having potential resistance buildup. Makes sense. You know, you do a lot of work with the cover crops in our role as our conservation agronomist. How do cover crops help in that cultural uh, adjustment to weeds or, you know, uh, systems approach to weeds? And then how do they hurt as far as limiting you on your herbicide program? Yeah. So when we look at the help side, I mean, a couple things that really jump out to me. So number one, if we're using a, you know, some growers, especially we're starting to see it get a little bit more, um, more popular in organic systems where using that cover crop, especially say a rye cover crop to kind of act as that living mulch bed that lays down, you know, waits till it gets to that jointing stage, crimp it, lays down and kind of forms a, a mat that again, kind of acts the same way as what residue do, crop residue does. It doesn't let sunlight and heat penetrate that. Um, another part is that especially specifically again, talking about rye, where rye will release as it decomposes, release a chemical that is allelopathic to seedling, especially grass seedling germination. Um, so there's a couple things around there that, you know, that are really kind of positives. When we look at the negative side, though, again, with, with rye or with, with a cover crop, you know, again, those, a lot of those are grassy species. You know, they're, they're close relative to some other grassy weed species that we have. And it can kind of be a challenge of controlling them individually from, say, uh, you know, from a, from a cover crop species compared to a grassy weed species. So because, again, there's just such close relationship and uh, lineage in the background there that it, it's kind of hard for that herbicide to decipher what's a good weed and what's, uh, what's actually a crop. Yeah, atrazine is one that I think of a lot that you better be careful with your atrazine rates and timing if you're going to be pushing a cover crop. And it depends what you're going to do. You know, if you're going to wait until post-harvest and drill something in, that's one thing. But if you're going to try to fly something on, maybe just as, you know, some bottom leaves start to senesce, you know, shortly after, you know, brown silk, that's going to be a lot tougher because you're going to have quite a bit of active, active chemistry still out there. So, Josh, you had mentioned mare's tail a little bit. What is your program for a guy that's struggling with mare's tail? Are you a believer in going after that fall spray in, or what do you do? For those winter annuals, that's the first place that I would start. You know, it's just, it's a tough weed to control if you let it get growing in the spring and you, and you don't get out there right away. So, uh, 2,4-D, dicamba, you know, that brash, yeah. it's cheap. Yep. You know, it's cheap to put out there in the fall and CVA will get out there and do it for you. I know that time of the year, guys are trying to get their crop out of the field 
So it may not be the first thing on their agenda, but, you know, call up your local CVA and have them go out there and do it. You know, a $10 treatment per acre for that can pay you big dividends in the spring. You know, just get ahead of those winter annuals. And if you're not a believer and you have a, a problem field, have them go out there and spray most of the field and just leave a couple sprayer passes where where the, the weeds have been a problem. Yeah. And I think after one year that it'll open your eyes and it's probably something that you'll do every yeah. year. It seems like once mare's tail bolts, it really gets a lot tougher to kill. And everything's tougher to kill if you get a bit of a drought year. So you get things that's kind of dry and it seems like a lot of those uh, weeds will put on a little extra waxy coating and they're pretty hard to burn through. And the plant's not growing real active. And if you don't have an actively growing plant, it gets a lot tougher to kill them. So getting them killed early versus, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, I want to wait a little bit for a few more to germinate and then I'll get them all with my post pass. Like, oh, you're just setting yourself up for disaster. So you bring up an important point and, and that's the point of how, you know, when, when we're talking mare's tail, controlling that weed within that rosette stage is much easier once we get into the bull stage. Same thing can be said for dealing with Palmer amaranth or water hemp. When we're able to control it, you know, especially if you look at some labels, I use dicamba for an example. You know, what is what do they recommend for, for weed height within for a dicamba application? They want no taller than four inches. Right. And when we look at these kind of the weeds, these tough ones that are really tough to control, like the water hemp, the palmers, the uh, the mare's tails. When we're using a product, especially a system, a systemic product like a dicamba or, or something like that, that has to be moved within that plant. What is happening is those, that, that chemical or that herbicide is getting moved to the growing points within that plant. So when we have that small plant, that, that small weed that's only two or three inches tall, we only have a few, few, growth, or right. a few growth points in that plant. When we look at that full-grown mare's tail or that full-grown, especially that full-grown uh, Palmer amaranth, we literally have hundreds of growth points within that plant. So that's why you know you talked about it. You brought up exactly how difficult it is to control those big weeds, and it's precisely because of that reason, especially with these systemic herbicides, where they are being translocated to the growth points until they're actually. And when you're when that happens, the more growth points you have, the more diluted that chemical or that, that chemistry is becoming within that plant. Yeah, we used to joke when I do a little scouting that if you uh, sprayed mare's tail, especially with Roundup, it, it kind of looked like maybe it was going to kill it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it just grew back and looked like it was angry. Yeah, typically, <laughs> yeah, typically it just gets upset and it grows about five and then, times faster. And then you weren't going to kill it. And, and, that's the, and that's the difficulty, too, is that it really requires, with the herbicide management program, really requires being proactive. You know, we look at, say, again, look at a, a Palmer amaranth. We know that's a plant that can grow a couple inches a day. You know, when, when it's got heat and humidity and it's got all the moisture and nutrients it needs, you know, it, it can go from that four inches to eight or 10 inches really quickly. So right. having that plan ready to go, knowing, you know, knowing where where weed growth stages are and things like that are really important to help reduce that potential for resistance buildup. Seems a lost art out there a little bit is probably scouting, you know, as as farms get operations get a little bit larger all the time, it's just a lot tougher to scout, you know, 2,500 or 3,500 acres than it was to scout 700 acres. So, you know, a good scouting program, whether you're hiring somebody else to do that, whether you're working with your crop consultant to do that, or whether you're doing it yourself, um, it's hard to beat that, especially on newer fields that you've just picked up and you don't know the weed history, um, getting out there and 
you know, spend a little time identifying what's out there, catching it while it is still small. Because if your scouting is done at 50 mile an hour, by the time yeah. you see it, it's going to really be a problem to kill it. My scouting starts earlier even. My scouting for 2021 starts the fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm telling some growers time to time to have a notebook in the cab with you when you're combining. If you're seeing some of these winter annual weeds in there, write them down, note what you have, because then you can already start building that herbicide management program um, as you're moving into the, the, the winter and the spring months. And you're already accounting for those instead of really just because if you're doing a lot of your scouting, obviously, in that late spring, early summer, you're kind of putting a lot of emphasis on those summer annuals instead. So, again, it's to me, it's a it's a 12 month process. It's not just starting in in, uh, in June and saying, well, I'm going to start or May that I'm going to start doing my weed scouting now. It's. It's uh, scouting whenever you have the opportunity and really understanding what type of weed, weed species, weed pressure that you truly have out in that field. So, Josh, are you seeing any new chemistries coming down the road from our vendors or are we kind of stuck with what we've got right now? I haven't seen any magic since Dicamba got into soybeans. Yeah, I don't think there's any silver bullet coming down the pipeline right now. And, you know, potentially some new modes of action, but those are probably years. Mm hmm away from from being able on the commercial side so what we've been talking about here today just having a good management strategy that encompasses everything on your operation is just so important um, just get out get out there the best thing that you can probably see in your field is your own shadow so get out there see what's going on make sure we're layering our residuals keep the weeds guessing use different products use different modes of action because right now there is no silver bullet and there probably never will be so we just have to have good plans put in place just to make sure we have the outcomes that we want yeah yeah i, I think that's a really good point i think you know if if you're sitting there listening thinking that and this this brand new fantastic chemistry is going to come out that's going to solve all of our world problems i think that's kind of setting up for failure a little bit um i think definitely the mindset right now is is really understanding how do we utilize the chemistries that we have today best and not wait for that new chemistry coming down the road because you're absolutely right there's not a whole lot kind of seems like we've hit a little bit of a, of a lull on new chemistries coming out or especially new modes of action as well um and you know we've kind of th those those days of rapid new chemistries coming out one after the other those are pretty much behind us you know we really have to focus on using the ones we have and maintaining and preserving them as long as possible yeah, it's kind of been my experience too, is that, you know, we talk about the horror stories, you know, the, the fields with, you know, 10 foot high Palmer amaranth. We, we've seen times where kosher can get away. We've seen it where Maristale can get away. You know, we've got some Roundup resistant uh, giant ragweed out there. But if a grower will do the things we've talked about today, you know, like you said, Aaron, start your scouting in the fall in the combine. Be aware of whatever problems that you've got and start your plan on how to attack those immediately. Be aware of your winter annuals by doing some, some fall scouting after harvest or early spring scouting so you know what you've got and you've got an opportunity to kill it again before like that mare's tail goes into that bolt stage. Have a good residual herbicide where you're mainly spraying just bare soil and killing those small seedlings as they first germinate when they're the easiest to kill and then overlaying residuals past that and then the other uh, you know burners and, and contact herbicides we've got can help you with cleanup but for the most part your problems won't be there yeah you know josh you brought up a great point about how well dicamba has been working well there's no field 
cases of dicamba tolerance today, but there has been, you know, lab confirmed that they've been able to develop tolerance to dicamba within the lab in the Mid-South. So you get, again, that's, it's a, it's pretty far away from lab to field, obviously, but it just shows that even how good dicamba works for us, that there could be potentially, if we abuse it, we could again, go down the same road as we, we did with Roundup and face resistant issues with it as well. Any last minute comments, Josh? Nope. Just, uh, Want everybody to stay safe out there this this growing season and um we spent all winter putting plans together those plans are in action right now so let's have a successful growing season and and let's get to it all right with josh beckman and aaron sindelar i'm tim undorf and this has been soil talk thank you for joining us today on soil talk if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. <music>